Luke chapter 24. If you would join me in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we come to you needy. We pray that as we look into your word, that the risen Christ would open our eyes to see, would open our minds to understand, and would cause our hearts to burn within us as we behold his glory. By the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So it's that time of year again when parking is even harder to find than usual. And all the churches around the world are full. Uh, many are flocking to Sunday gatherings. Some maybe even for the first time, maybe some of you curious as to what this is all about. And it's almost taken for granted that at this time of year, frequently, almost every year, there are features in different magazines, websites, whether that's National Geographic or the History Channel or even Time Magazine, they'll have articles talking about the real Jesus or what they call the historical Jesus. And there's all sorts of questions being raised. Is there really evidence for the resurrection? Was there really this man who lived and died and who some people claimed that he rose again? Did he even exist? Was he some kind of a wandering sage and cynic? Some articles have gone out saying Jesus was married and has had children and lived a quiet, peaceful life. Others have painted him as a radical revolutionary who then was crucified. What does the evidence say? There are archaeological searches being done. And one person who wrote an article about the archaeological evidence for the resurrection actually says this. She says, for an archaeologist turned journalist like me, searching in ancient landscapes for shards of a single life feels like a fool's errand, like chasing a ghost. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus is alive? That he rose from the dead? That he still speaks today? Or think back to the early believers. How did they know? How did those who were completely disappointed and hopeless at one point completely doubting and filled with disbelief after, all of a sudden have their hearts set ablaze so that they went to the ends of the earth proclaiming that he was alive, proclaiming a crucified and risen Savior, and the result of that being that 2,000 years later, we are gathered here and still talking about this. Not just once a year, but every week, true believers gather on the Lord's Day in commemoration and celebration 
of this historical event, the resurrection of Christ. How do we know? How do we know this is true? Well, that's the question that our gospel writer, Luke, will answer this morning. He's going to take us through five steps in a journey of faith on a very special Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. And as Luke answers this question for us, as we go through the process of discovery and reading the story, may it be that we would feel great joy, that we would feel the same great joy and assurance that the early disciples felt, that our hearts would burn within us, just as theirs did. Let's encounter this amazing story, five steps through the story. Step one, an intriguing conversation. An intriguing conversation. We pick it up in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So these two guys are on a walk of about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're talking on the way. They've just experienced the most tumultuous, emotional roller coaster of a crazy, insane week in their entire lives. Never would they have, in their wildest dreams, imagined a week like this. I mean, you've got to think, what happened one Sunday before, the week prior? Well, they were in the crowd as their master, their rabbi, the one they were following, rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, being proclaimed as the son of David, the king, people laying palm branches before them. What happens soon after his arrival there? He goes into the temple and he begins turning over the tables, driving out the traders and proclaiming that this is his father's house and it should be a house of prayer. Soon after that, things take a darker turn. As they watch their master, the one whom they are following, get arrested and then beaten and then nailed to a cross. And they all scatter as he died. He died. The one they put all their hope in had died. And he was taken down, lifeless, buried in a tomb. And then three days later, just that morning, they heard this news that some of the women went to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. And then Peter had run to that same tomb and he had found it empty. Now, this had been reported to the disciples, the empty tomb. But if you look a few verses earlier in our passage, what you'll see was it was dismissed. Verse 10, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them, who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So these guys think, well, this is an idle tale. They, they said they saw an angel. They said the tomb was opened. What in the world? Were these women crazy? 
They're walking along wondering what happened to the body, did someone steal it, what's going on? So, so they're just processing the week, as we might like to say. They're trying to figure it out. What in the world has just happened? What's going on? And then someone joins them along the way. Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And, and the way that Jesus is introduced there is emphatic. Do you see? They were talking. They were discussing together. The text delays it. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Behold! And what do they say? Wow! Praise the Lord! Christ is risen! And the other guy says, he's risen indeed. No. That's not what they say. Verse 16. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He's standing before them. The evidence is all there. They don't see it. They don't know. They don't understand. And, and he said to them, this is so much fun here, right here. Jesus says to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And the word there for conversation is, is kind of a strong word. It's like, you know, what's this debate? What's this vigorous conversation that you're having, you know, that you're all fired up about. What's going on? And they stood still in front of the risen Christ. They stood still looking sad, dark, dark in face, cloudy, gloomy, depressed, downcast. The younger people might say, bummed out. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answers Jesus. And, and check out his question. And he's wondering, who is this guy? How does he not know? Are you the only visitor? It's an insulting question. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What's wrong with you, man? How do you not know? This has been like the talk of the town. This is the commotion that we've had all this past week. And you don't know? What are you new here? What have you been sleeping? Your social media account not working? And then Jesus, this is beautiful, check it out. He said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. That's a great summary of the events of the week, isn't it? They, they have all the data. They have all the facts. But those facts have not been interpreted rightly. They have all the evidence, but they still don't understand. Right? They, they speak of him being mighty in word and deed before God and all the people. They speak of him being 
crucified. They speak of the fact that they had hoped that he would redeem Israel. They talk of it being the third day since the crucifixion. They talk of the women coming to the tomb and the tomb being empty and not them, them not finding a body. Of the angels appearing to the women and saying that he was alive. They talk of Peter going to the tomb and finding the tomb empty the same way. They're saying, well, they didn't see him. Right? They misinterpret the facts. They, they still think, they say, well, Jesus was a prophet. And indeed, he was a prophet. Mighty indeed, and word before God. But they're soon going to learn that he was far, far more than a prophet. He is Lord. They say that he was crucified. And, and notice, a change of a couple of words here, as one person says, changes the whole story. They say, verse 20, the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And if they had switched those words, they would have got it right. They crucified him, and that was how he redeemed Israel, and not just Israel, but the nations. And then they know the empty tomb. They know that the angel says he's alive. But then they say, well, no one's seen him. Correct knowledge of the facts. No recognition of the living Christ. All of the evidence, but no right conclusion. As one person says, the living disciples, look at the irony here. The living disciples talk about a dead Jesus. While the living Jesus speaks with lifeless disciples. They think no one has yet seen him. They say, no, no one has yet seen him. Him they did not see, but they are seeing him right before their eyes and they don't even realize it. They think he was a prophet, but he's far, far more than a prophet. They had a set of expectations for this prophet, you see. And he had not met their expectations. No, he had failed their expectations. They had hopes and dreams that he would be the one to liberate Israel. But now their hopes and dreams were shattered. They had a set of lenses. They had a filter through which they were viewing all this, through which they interpreted the data. See, they were expecting some kind of a political liberator, some kind of a political messiah. He would come, he would lead them into battle, he would overthrow the Romans, and now Israel would be free from tyranny and oppression. But that all seemed lost now. And it's all captured in those words there in verse 21, isn't it? The disappointment, the frustration, the pain, the gloom. Verse 21, but we had hoped. As one person says, those words summarize the feelings of believers through the ages who conclude that when God does not fulfill their hopes, all hope is lost. that you this morning, dear friend? You know, one of the greatest reasons we struggle to believe, one of the greatest reasons our faith falters and fails, why often we become hopeless, unable to see, is when God doesn't fulfill our hopes. It's disappointment. We had hoped for something, we thought that he was going to do this, we thought our lives would look a certain way, and then it didn't happen. Or hard, crushing circumstances come into our life, 
and then we grow disappointed, downcast, cynical. Well, Jesus speaks into their disappointment and their weakness, and he speaks to us in our weakness. See, they had a deeper problem, verse 16. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And really, the language used there speaks of God in his sovereignty keeping them from seeing the truth because God has a plan. And Jesus is going to take them on a journey of faith. And until he decides, they're going to be left in confusion, not recognizing him. The disciples here represent weakness, failure, finitude, confusion, the weakness, failure, finitude, and confusion of us all. And yet Jesus comes to them in grace and compassion, with confirmation of his salvation, with forgiveness of their sin, and with transformation. He begins to speak now. Look at verses 25 and following. He said to them, O foolish and heavy in heart to believe all the things which the prophets had spoken, were not these things necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus rebukes them in love. Oh, foolish and heavy in heart. And did you notice what he rebukes them for? Not for disbelieving the evidence or the reports. Haven't you heard what the angel said? Haven't you heard what the women said? Haven't you heard what Peter said? No, he doesn't rebuke them for disbelieving the reports or disbelieving the evidence. He doesn't even rebuke them for not recognizing him. Oh, foolish and heavy in heart, can't you see that I'm standing here before you? It's me. Ta-da! That's not what he does. He doesn't even rebuke them for not recognizing him. He rebukes them for not understanding and believing the Scriptures. They failed to recognize what the Scriptures teach. They failed to recognize that the whole Bible, that all of the Old Testament from Moses and all the prophets teach that the Christ must suffer and die, that suffering precedes salvation, that heartbreak leads to hope, that death leads to resurrection. They just didn't get it. Because you see, the cross, a crucified Messiah, was unthinkable to them. It was a scandal in the ancient world, even as it is a scandal today. How could this one be our Savior, be the Son of God, be Lord, and be crucified, be put to shame? No, they were waiting for a political Messiah, one who would lead them into victory. But that he was not. They crucified him, they said, but we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. And they did not realize that him being crucified was the very way that he would redeem not only Israel, but also the nations. And Jesus now shows them all of this in the scripture, he builds their faith through a Bible study. Beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The risen Christ is the authoritative interpreter of the scriptures, all of which point to him, his suffering, 
for sinners, his resurrection. Friends, I want to ask you, have you understood and believed the scriptures? For it is through the scriptures that we know what Christ has done to save sinners. All of scripture telling one story from Moses and through all the prophets, all the way the Bible shows us that God is holy. He is our creator. That we have been created to worship and glorify him, but we have rebelled against him. We have sinned against him. And we deserve death and condemnation for our sin. But God in His love and in His mercy towards us as sinners, has sent His own Son, His only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, eternal, took on flesh, lived the perfect life, being fully God, fully man, and was crucified for sinners as a substitute to take upon Himself the death that we deserve, to take upon Himself the judgment and the condemnation that sinners deserve. And then he rose from the dead in fulfillment of the scriptures and summons all people everywhere to repent and believe in him. And to whomever would repent and trust in him, there is the promise of forgiveness of sins and resurrection life. That can be yours today, dear friend, by trusting in Jesus, by understanding and believing what the scriptures say concerning him. I want to summon you. Jesus, the risen Christ, summons you to believe, to trust Him, to receive the promise of the forgiveness of sins. He will give you faith to believe. So these guys, Cleopas and his buddy, they have this amazing conversation with somebody whom they think is a stranger, they don't see that this is their Lord, this is their Christ, this is the risen Savior Himself speaking with them. Their eyes are blinded, not just to the fact of who is standing before them, but their eyes were blinded to the message of the Scriptures. And, and you see, the problem that they have is not a problem of the head. No, they had all the facts. It's a problem of the heart. Foolish and heavy in heart. Friends, for them and for us, and for the skeptical world around us. The mere facts, the mere evidence of the resurrection do not suffice, are not enough. They and we need something more than a resurrection. What could be greater than resurrection? The answer is, Revelation. Revelation. And, and Jesus has begun to address that issue. He's given them the most amazing Bible study in the history of the world and now leads us into step two of our journey of faith. We saw an intriguing conversation. Now we see a surprising revelation. A surprising revelation. So they drew near, verse 28, to the village to which they were going. They've walked nearly 11 kilometers. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Well, this Bible study has been so amazing. 
this conversation has been so enlivening, it's created a growing bond between Cleopas and his friend and this stranger that they've been walking with. They can't get enough of his company, right? He gives them this grace. He's, he's, he's going as if he's going further because he's waiting for them to ask. And they urge him, they plead. The, the language there is they urged him strongly, stay with us. They don't want to be without him. They're hanging on to his every word. And Jesus graciously stays. And they go in. And then what happens? Verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Do you see that pattern there in verse 30? Six steps. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. That exact pattern has been repeated for the third time now in the Gospel of Luke. Earlier, when Jesus was feeding 5,000 people in a great miracle, he did the exact same thing. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them. Again, at the Passover meal with his disciples, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he did the exact same thing. He took bread, gave thanks, broke, gave it to them. In the feeding of the 5,000, as Jesus performs this pattern, he provides satisfaction. At the Passover meal, he institutes an ordinance for recollection. And here as he takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, gives it to them, he provides revelation. Verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. You could translate that, they knew him. Where else have you heard that language before? Their eyes were opened and they knew right after eating. Will you go back to Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve took and ate. Genesis 3 verse 7, and their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They took and ate and their eyes were opened to their nakedness, their sin, their shame. Jesus gives these disciples and they take and they eat and their eyes are opened to the risen Lord who takes away our sin and shame and clothes us with his righteousness. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. Are your eyes opened? And then what happens? He vanished from their sight. He gives them enough of himself to bring about faith but only enough that it would still need faith. And look at the ground of their faith and certainty. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Friends, the entryway to faith is always through the exposition of the scriptures. 
It's again and again emphasized in this whole chapter in Luke. If you go back earlier when the women went to the tomb and they found that there was no body there, what did the angel say to them? Verses 6 to 8, they're frightened, they see the tomb empty, they see this amazing angel. And then these angels say to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Verse 8, and they remembered his words. God opens eyes, gives life to dead hearts by his word. Isn't that the case for Everyone here who has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you remember? Do you remember that time when you were lost in darkness, dead in your sins, your eyes did not see, your ears did not hear, your heart did not understand, that's still the condition of some of you this morning, and then so many of us can talk about and testify and remember with such great joy how the Lord opened our eyes, how He caused our hearts to burn within us. Do you remember that, dear brother or sister? Through the preaching of his word, as you heard the gospel, as you encountered the scriptures, you encountered Christ, and he opened up your mind to understand the scriptures. He opened up the scriptures to you, and your heart burned within you. That's how we believe. That's how I came to faith many years ago when I was lost in darkness, dead in my sins, living like a fool and a rebel in this world. And then, by God's grace, was brought among a people with whom I began reading the Bible. And as I heard the Bible expounded and explained, I met Jesus. I realized He's alive. And He opened my eyes to see. The scales fell off. And then He lit a fire in my heart by His grace. The hearts that were slow and heavy, oh foolish, slow and heavy in heart, the hearts that were slow and heavy earlier in the passage are now ablaze with fire. The hearts that were burdened and gloomy are now burning with life. Is your heart heavy this morning or hardened in unbelief, dear non-Christian? Is your heart burdened this morning do you come here gloomy and downcast, weighed down? I want to tell you, dear friend, Jesus is alive. And you can meet him today in the scriptures. You can hear him. He can open your eyes. And I want to call you to hear the risen Christ speaking to you through his word. I want to call you to see his glory shining forth from the pages of scripture. And let him speak into the deadness and darkness of your heart and say, let there be light. I want to speak to the children this morning. Children, you can know Jesus. You can be saved from your sins. You can meet the risen Christ. You can truly know that he is risen from the dead. Because we have what they had. We have the scriptures. And we have Jesus who reveals himself to us through that word. Come to him. Believe on him. And be saved from your sin. And let your heart burn within you. With the joy of knowing Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to them. And then he vanished. But their hearts are burning. And then as their hearts are burning, 
their feet get moving. And that leads us to our third scene. We saw an intriguing conversation, a surprising revelation. Now we see a marvelous visitation. Verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. I mean, you've got to think about this, 11 kilometers away, okay? So this is like a mini marathon that they're running. And it's late at night. Remember they said to Jesus, Don't, please stay with us. It's, it's, the hour is already late. It's already night. In those days in the ancient world, it was dangerous to travel by night. You could get robbed. You could get killed. You could get attacked on the way. They don't care. Doesn't matter. 11 kilometers, the distance doesn't matter. Let's go. They get up. They get running. They run all the way back. And they found the 11. And those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they've come here. They find all these guys gathered together. They're saying, well, he's appeared to Simon too. Do they believe now? Is this it? Eh, Not yet. As they were talking about these things, Guess who? Once again, you saw earlier, Jesus himself started walking along. Here we see Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. Peace to you. And you know, this is, again, there's there's a great mystery here about the resurrection body of Christ. He can appear, apparently, all of a sudden and disappear. It's not like he came knocking on the door, please Open up, guys. Hey, it's me. Open up. No. He's right there in their midst. And the first words out of his mouth to his disciples are, peace to you. Those are words of salvation, of reconciliation, of forgiveness. Because you've got to think about the guys in the room right there. These are not heroes. right? These are not some great... Warriors and heroes of the faith. I mean, they're, they're probably scared that they're going to get captured and killed as well. These are sinners who were lost, lost in despair, who were without hope. They had abandoned him just a few days earlier. They had all run away and scattered when he was being crucified. One of them had denied him three times. None of them stood with him. And to those sinners, I mean, they heard about the empty tomb and they dismissed it as an idle tale. To those who were weak, to those who were failures and without hope, Jesus says, peace to you. Peace with God. Peace with Christ, our risen Lord. Peace for sinners. Dear Christian, even when you fail, even when your faith falters, even when you're struggling and unsure if you will make it to the end, even when you have sinned and fallen short, Jesus, the risen Lord, says to you, peace to you. Forgiveness of sins. Dear non-Christian friend, you can have peace with God today. You can be forgiven of your sins today. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, stands before you today and says to you, peace. And they say, hallelujah, amen. 
No, that's not what they say. They're still struggling. They're still doubting. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. The word means ghost. They thought that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, it, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So the resurrection body appears and can disappear, can apparently go through doors. Yet at the same time, the resurrection body has flesh and bones, hands and feet, not like a ghost floating around with no substance. They see his body. They see his hands and feet. He invites them to touch him. They touch the risen Christ. They, they know he's alive. He says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? I'm here. He shows them the wounds of his suffering, his nail-pierced hands and feet. This is really him, alive, risen from the dead. And they still disbelieved, verse 41. Earlier it was a doubtful disbelief. Now it's like, man, this is so good, it's too good to be true. I can't believe it. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Ever had that experience in your life where something is so amazing, so exciting, so joyful that you, you're pinching yourself and wondering, is this even real? You know, I remember many years ago when I married my beloved wife uh, after we had waited a long time, several years before we were united in marriage. And I think for the entire first year of our marriage, we would say to one another just often, what's your name? Say, Aubrey. What's my name? Nishika. Where are we? We're in Toronto. We're married. This is real. It's amazing. This is real. What's his name? Jesus. Where is he? In their midst. They are marveling for joy. They're still kind of, is this real? And, and, and then Jesus gives them one more strand of evidence. He says to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And you're wondering, Jesus rose from the dead, and he defeated death, and now he's hungry? Well, he's not eating for his sake because he's hungry. He's eating for their sake. Because, yeah, maybe I'm dreaming, maybe I'm hallucinating, maybe I'm seeing a vision, maybe I'm imagining this in my grief and doubt. But guess what? Pieces of fish don't just disappear. No, he took the fish with his real body, ate the fish with his resurrected body, and the fish was gone. But the disciples' journey of faith and our journey of faith doesn't end there. No, there are still a couple more steps. Jesus doesn't just visit them and appear to them. He doesn't just show himself and invite them to touch him. No, he continues to strengthen and establish their faith and our faith by showing what the Scripture proclaims. That's scene four. A necessary proclamation. A necessary 
proclamation. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, see, this is what brings certainty. This is what brings assurance. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so this is an amazing kind of reversal of the pattern, isn't it? On the road to Emmaus, he begins with the Bible study and shows them how all of the scriptures point to himself and then he reveals himself to the disciples. Here in the room of, in Jerusalem, he reveals himself to the disciples and then he shows them the Bible and shows them how all of it points to him, crucified, risen, his gospel, his story. You know, there's a very famous painting by a painter named Lucas Cranach of uh, the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther who brought the church back to the gospel, to the Bible, uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this painting of Luther is of Luther preaching in a church. And there's the congregation all on one side, and there's Luther on the other side. And in between Luther and the congregation is Christ crucified. Meaning to say that all of Scripture points us to this, that the Christ must suffer and die. The whole Bible. Do you see the emphasis here on words? It's not just meeting the risen Christ that engenders faith in their hearts. It's his words. Verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's a way of referring to the three parts of the entire Old Testament. In other words, all of it must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand what? That he rose again? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written. And repentance and forgiveness of sins, verse 47, should be proclaimed. We know the risen Christ. They knew the risen Christ through the message of the scriptures. And we need the risen Christ to open our minds to grasp and apprehend that message. Do you see verse 45? Throughout the passage, this has been emphasized, he opened their minds to understand. Verse 32, he opened up, our hearts were burning within us when he opened up to us the scriptures. Verse 27, he explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And you think, man, what an amazing Bible study they had. They had Jesus showing them the whole Old Testament, how it points to his crucifixion and his resurrection. I wish I could have that kind of a Bible study. Wouldn't it be amazing to know what he told them? Guess what? We know what he told them. We have all of that content of the Bible study. Oh, pastor, I didn't know that in those days they had recorders and YouTube and all of that. Well, we have the Bible. We have the rest of the New Testament. Because you see, those apostles wrote it down for us. They gave us his Bible study. 
They showed us the answers. We do know. And as we read the New Testament, we begin to see the Old Testament and the light shines upon its pages. And we go all the way back to Genesis and we see the promised offspring who will crush the serpent's head. We go back to Genesis and we see that God will provide a sacrifice. We see Abraham and Isaac up on Mount Moriah on the third day. And God provides a substitute. And Abraham receives back his son. We, we keep reading and we see the Passover lamb being slain. And by its blood, delivering the people of Israel from death, we see the entire Levitical sacrificial system being put in place. And all of these sacrifices that will turn away the wrath of God from sinners and result in the forgiveness of sins and an approach and access to God. Then we begin to see this pattern of suffering and then exaltation. We see it in the life of Joseph. We see it in the life of Job. We see it in the life of King David. We come all the way to the book of Isaiah and we see the suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions. And by his stripes we are healed. And we see the promise of resurrection. How do we know that the resurrection is real? How do we know that Jesus is alive? As we open up the scriptures, the risen Christ meets with us and opens up our minds to understand. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And as we hear the word of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ who lives and reigns today sets our hearts ablaze with the knowledge of Him. Friends, the resurrection is not a mere knowledge of facts. Faith is not a mere feeling in your hearts, but it is the risen glorious Lord opening up your heart to believe in Him and to burn for His glory. And when we burn for His glory, we proclaim His victory. Do you see verse 47? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed should be, must be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. He gives them a commission. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then not very long after, power did come from on high. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, sent from the Father and the Son, came down, clothed them with resurrection power themselves, and out they went as his witnesses to the ends of the earth at the cost of their lives, many of them. And that's why we're all here today. You see, what was written must be retold. Those who have seen must be those who are sent. What was promised and then fulfilled must be proclaimed. And that's what we must bear witness to. That's what we must proclaim. We are called to be gospel ambassadors to the nations. This commission continues, you see. The promise that he made to them that was fulfilled is fulfilled in us. The Holy Spirit came upon the church. He lives in us. He lives in each one of us who calls upon the name of Jesus. And he dwells in us as a church. And he sends us forth on mission to bear witness to this risen Lord, saying he is risen, he is risen indeed, that the Christ has suffered and died and has been raised again on the third day, and now there is repentance and forgiveness of sins for all who call upon him from the nations. Let's take that to the ends of the earth. And we're not alone, because Jesus gives us the last step here in the journey of faith in Luke 24. We see a necessary proclamation, step four, and then we see a glorious benediction. A glorious benediction. He led them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. 
Ever wonder why we do benediction at the end of the service with hands raised? Jesus lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Jesus blessed his disciples, ascended into heaven, took his seat at the right hand of God the Father as the risen, ruling, and reigning Lord, and sends us forth. The one whom they thought was a dead and failed prophet, they now, did you catch it? They worshipped him. Where is the evidence for the deity of Jesus in the New Testament? Right here, these monotheistic Jews worshipped him. They worship him as the risen Lord, God the Son himself, risen from the dead, ruling and reigning forever, blessing us, his people. And we should respond as they responded. In worship, with great joy, and in witness. And his blessing is upon us, today and always. Pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of the resurrection and for the certainty of the scriptures. May our hearts burn within us, Lord. May we take your gospel to the ends of the earth, even as we worship our risen Lord with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.